chapter 4, verse 4, as it tells us that Satan is the god of this world, in whom the god of this world hath blinded the minds, not just the eyes, but the Satan, the god of this world, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why? So that they don't believe the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. That his glorious light should shine into their eyes. Satan is the God of this world. You wonder why there's so much evil. You wonder why there's so much suffering. You wonder why there's so much terrible trouble. Uh, it's because of who the God of this world is. That is Satan. It's Lucifer. He is the God of this world. And it's pretty evident that he has blinded the minds of those who believe not. And, and the reason that he does is so that they don't get saved. But we know from that scripture that the glorious light of Christ can shine into them, that God's grace, that the power of God is, is the gospel of salvation, or the, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. And as we share that message, we know that God is so much greater, that his word is so much greater, and it can penetrate into those blinded minds, into those hearts. And so, folks, we need to be about our Father's business and sharing the glorious gospel in order for there to be a breakthrough. But as we look around us, there it leaves very little doubt who the God of this world is, right? Extremely disappointed in the occurrences over the last several weeks. And extremely tired of the news reports and all the political haggling and battle that's been raging discouraging, isn't it? It's what I've told myself all week. And then driving home Wednesday night after Bible study, after meeting with a group of folks from here, and we got into God's Word, and I got to thinking, and we got to praying, and it was the praying, not my thinking. Wait a second, that's not the way a believer is supposed to live their life. It's not with discouragement. It's not with anxiety. It's not, it, it, it's, it's not anxious. It's not fearful. It's not argumentative. It's not in conflict. That's not the way God wants believers living their lives. We talk about victory in Jesus, yet we focus on what's going on in the world. Our minds are more geared toward the temporal and not the earthly and not the heavenly and I think that's where the church is losing it today is we've not done what Colossians tells us to do look at Colossians chapter 3 Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 verse 2 if ye then be risen with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. See, as believers, we need to quit focusing on the things of the world and the activities of the world, and we are to start thinking on those things that God has told us to concentrate on and to think about. But I can tell you this, in today's world, 
that disappointing, depressed, anxious, fearful, in conflict, argumentative, that describes Christians more than joyful, feeling blessed, being excited about who you are in Christ. And I guarantee you, that that causes us to be ineffective in the cause of Christ. I'm convinced of that. Romans chapter 8, verse 6, talks about the carnal mind is death, but the spiritual mind is life and peace. Isn't that what we want to have, is that spiritual mind? To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We want that peace. So Wednesday night on the way home, I told myself, Rick, old friend, you have got to quit focusing on what the world is offering and what the world is pushing, and you need to start focusing on where your citizenship is, on the heavenly. So I reminded myself on the way home that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I wish that song was in the hymnal. I couldn't find it. I would have been singing that today because how true that song is. That my citizenship is in heaven, but I tend, we tend, to start feeling at home in this sin-cursed world, don't we? Start feeling kind of comfortable in this sin cursed world. So here's what I determined on the way home. I determined that I am going to completely, totally, almost shut off the news. Except what you people send me. So, yeah. So, except what you send me. I'm going to quit listening to talk radio. Not that talk radio is bad, because I, but what it does is it incites me, it incites me to, to political action. I get all worked up, and you know what I found? When I get worked up, all I do is fret, fume, and holler. And I'm powerless to do anything except pray. Except pray. And folks, that's big. That's a lot. So I'm, I'm just, I'm going to stop listening to talk radio, and I'm going to start doing what God's Word tells me I am to do. Because the world is depressing. There's a reason Christians get depressed. The world is depressing. The world is dangerous. But here's what God's Word tells us to do, believers. Are you ready? Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 8. This is what I want us to start doing. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things. That's what I want to do. 
I want to focus on what God's Word tells me to be thinking about. Because when you're thinking on these type of things, then you're no longer powerless. Then it incites you to do things for God. Then it's encouraging. Then it's uplifting. Then it is a blessing. When you, when you apply God's Word to your life, then you're no longer powerless. It brings joy. going to tell you you need to pray more but somebody said that out there a while ago we need to pray more you say well pastor is that what you're telling us that we need to do yeah that's exactly what I'm telling you we need to do more of we need to pray and we need to praise we need to get excited about what's coming or get excited about who's coming You say, but nothing ever happens when I pray. We've been praying, we've been praying, we have been praying, and nothing has happened. How do you know that? How, how do you know that? When we pray, what do we pray? Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. See, and, and just because we don't see some of the things that we're praying for to happen doesn't mean that God is not working. That doesn't mean that it's not going the way God wants it to go for His purpose and, and to, for His will to be realized. And so we continue. We continue to pray. And just because things haven't gone the way I want them to go does not mean that God is not answering because we definitely pray, Father, Your will be done. And by faith, we believe that it is. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. One of the first things I'd recommend that you do when you pray is just cast all your care on him. Lord, what I saw on the news is just bothering me to death. Lord, what I'm experienced with, with friends and, and, and not-so-friendly folks, Lord, is just really getting me down. So, Lord, as I come before you in prayer, I want to cast all of my care upon you because you care for me. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 13. Matthew chapter 11, I'll get there in a second, verse 30. Now let's start with verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Brother, I'm heavy laden. I'm, I, I, I am heavy laden. I am concerned about what's happening in this country that I love so much. And I will give you rest. I believe him. I take his word. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. 
Folks, I need my soul to be at rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord Jesus, I take you at your word and that's what I want to do as I come before you is I want to just cast all my burden upon you. And let me, let me remind you of this. And I think this is important, folks, when we say that we pray. And I've talked to many of you, and, and, and we, we've been discussing this and talking about this for quite some time. We pray, and we're expecting immediate answer. And I'll be the first to admit that things that I've been praying for for our nation, have, have it just seems as if we lose every single battle and things aren't going the way that... that I think they ought to go again. Doesn't mean that God is not answering prayer and his will and purpose is not being carried out. But I want to remind you of Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Matter of fact, just turn there with me real quick. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel had had a vision. And that vision greatly disturbed him. The vision greatly, greatly disturbed him. And so he started fasting. He started praying. He started seeking answers. And there was a heavenly vision or heavenly messenger. Daniel chapter 10, verse 5. He lifts up his eyes and he looks, and there was a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. And he describes this guy, and Daniel says he alone saw this vision. There was the, other, the folks with him thought it was an earthquake, and it was frightening. He was, it was frightening. And the vision concerned the last days, by the way. The vision that Daniel had received that disturbed him was of the last days. And he said, Lord, I need answers. I need an interpretation. I need to know what this is all about. And this messenger from God is going to tell him what this is concerning the last days. But that's not the point I want to make. I mean, that's a good point. Maybe we need to preach on that one of these days. But the point I'm making is, look at verse 13. We need to keep this in mind, that we are in the midst of a spiritual warfare, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers of darkness in high places, we need to recognize that the spiritual warfare that we as believers are up against is real. Verse 13, this messenger from God to Daniel said, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. The reason that Daniel's prayers were not answered right away is because of those wickedness in high places was preventing that from happening. We need to understand that when we go to God in prayer, there are forces who are opposing what it is that we desire to take place for the glory of God. But that should not prevent us from praying because I am certain, I am positive, God hears. Let me tell you, just a few months back, there were a whole bunch of folks gathered in Washington praying. 
And I was so lifted up and motivated and excited and expecting. And I still feel the same way. Because that many people gathering in the capital of a major country in this world is going to get God's attention. And I believe he heard. I believe he is going to answer. His will be done. My prayer, my prayer is, Lord, find me faithful. Lord, find me standing on your word. Lord, find me standing on the promises of your word. Lord, find me doing the things that glorify you. I want to stand for truth. I want to stand for righteousness. I want to stand for everything that is glorifying to you. Don't want to stand for corruption. Don't want to stand for evil. I don't want to stand for things that would destroy this nation. See, we pray for revival, don't we? We pray for revival constantly. Well, maybe what we're facing is what it's going to take to bring about revival. Have we ever thought about that? We pray for our loved ones. Maybe this is what it's going to take for our loved ones to come to know Christ. I got a call this morning right before church from somebody, some guy that called and said, you know, is, it, is, is this the preacher? I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, I, I just got to have somebody to talk to. Just got to have somebody to talk to. How many other people are out there just needing someone to talk to concerning spiritual matters, and they may never have gotten to that position except they turn the TV on, they, they listen to what's going on, it scares them to death, they're looking for answers. Lord, may we have the answers when they call and say, I just got to talk to somebody. And we can say, Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. That needs to be our attitude. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that one of these days, either here or in the air, we're going to look back on these days and see how the glory of God was just carried out, and we're going to look back and rejoice at what God accomplished during these times. I'm, I'm convinced of that. And let me remind you, I get worked up. I, I, I do, when it, and that's why I'm having to, I've got to stop watching the news, I've I, I got to stop listening to, to talk radio, I just, I just got to do it. But let me remind you of Psalm 2. Turn with me to the second Psalm. Verse 1. Second Psalm, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. And folks, i got to tell you, the world is in derision today. Verse 5, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. 
Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen, the Gentiles, for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. Embrace the sun lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are, are all they that put their trust in him. Amen. Folks, I'm telling you, it's not woe is me. It's not woe is me. It's woe is them. It's woe is them. And we need to be pitying. We need to be grieving. We need to be crying out to God. We need to be those that, just, just like in, in Ezekiel, it, God says he looked for a man that would stand in the hedge, in the gap, against him. God said, I've I, I, I looked for a man that I could put in the hedge because Israel was in such dire straits. They were in, there were such consequences. It was horrible things were going on. And, and God says that, that I, I'd look for a man that would stand in the gap against me and say, no, God, don't do this. Don't do this. That's what God is needing today in this country. Or men that pray and cry out for his mercy, for his blessing, for their salvation. That's what the church needs to be doing today. And taking the gospel to a world that so desperately needs to hear. See, if I don't preach this, my tendency is to get angry. My tendency is to want to just squash that kind of attitude and, 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 and say things that I regret. But folks, I'm convinced God has not called us to pout. He's caused us to praise. God has not called us to regret. He's called us to rejoice. God has not called us to be Tearful, he's called us to be thankful. That's the way the church needs to be reacting during these extremely troubling times. I'm going to remind you this morning that every knee is going to bow. Every knee. Those people that I get so upset with, one day their knee's going to bow and they're going to realize the error of their ways. One of these days, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. When you see them spouting foolishness, when you see them spouting vitriol, know that one of these days they are going to be bowing before the true and living God, not as Savior, but as judge, and pity them and cry out to God. Lord, help me to be the one that witnesses, shares the gospel with these folks. Don't think that these folks are getting away with anything. There's a payday someday. And that should cause us all to shudder. 
because they aren't. Pity them who are blind. You know, their silly, pointless logic drives me crazy. And I can't hardly stand not giving them a piece of my mind. But I can't afford giving them a piece of my mind. See, I want to argue my brilliant defense. I want to show them why and where they are so wrong that it just blows their mind. That why my political logic and, and, and analysis is so much superior to their situation and what they believe. But I'm finding out when I've tried that that my defense is pointless and it actually ends in confrontation. Nothing that glorifies God. So here's another scripture that God would have us understand. See, God has not called me to give an answer for my political position and what I believe concerning the, pol the political circumstances. Look at 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 3. Let's start with verse um, 13. First Peter 3, 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God. Se separate, set apart the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of your political position. The argument that we make is give an answer for the hope that is within you. Who is the source of our hope? Who is the source of our faith? Who is the source of our well-being and praise? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else, you're right. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope. That's what God has called upon us to defend and to answer. And, and as you read that verse, you understand God is not saying be ready to give a reason or to explain, explain me. or, or it, God doesn't explain himself. In the beginning, God created. God doesn't try to explain himself. We, we don't have to try to explain God. What God's Word expects us to do is to give an answer of that hope that's within us. That I know I am saved. I know what I was before salvation. I know what I am now. I know what God has done in my life. And there is no way in the world I could ever reject His love, His mercy, His grace, and the salvation, the standing I have in Him by faith that came. And I couldn't reject it if my life depended on it. I know that I have that eternal life. I know that there's a God in heaven. I know that he loves me so much he sent his only begotten son to die in my place, to pay for my sin. I know that. And I read this and what I 
gather from this is that hope is based on an empty tomb. And that's the reason I have this hope is because the tomb is empty. You know, I, I was listening to a song this week and uh, think about all the stuff that's going on and all the difficult times that we're seeing and all the bickering and the argument, arguing. And, and it just seems like the world is in turmoil. And the reason it seems like that is because it is. And a song that I would, uh, music I was listening to, uh, talked about an event. And as I listened to the song and that developed <laughs> that event, talked about the disciples in the night of the, cru the day of the crucifixion and he talked about all the things that led up to the crucifixion and the horror and the things that they saw and the things that they these disciples the apostles experienced and the and the, the followers of Christ experienced and they scattered and it was horrifying and it they were huddled together and they, wasn't, they were not sure what's going to happen. It was the worst time of their lives. They were fearful. The, Peter had denied Christ. Then came the morning. Then came the morning and it changed everything. So no matter how bad it gets, the tomb is empty. We serve a risen Savior. He's not only in the world today, He's in my heart. He is in your heart. And we can trust Him. Let me share with you another story real quick. We're going to look at an entire book of the Bible in the next few minutes that we have. I, I want you to go with me to a time when things looked pretty dire. They looked hopeless. Now, we get to read the end of the story and go, yeah, those folks were cool. That Esther lady, she was cool. She was faithful. But we need to remember that when all these dire circumstances and these fearful things started happening, they didn't know the end. They didn't, we get to read about it and go, yeah, right on. What a good story. Turn with me to Esther. Real quickly, you know the story of Esther, how Vashti was the king? Uh, Vashti was the queen to King Xerxes. Uh, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes. And he had a feast. And that feast actually, according to Herodias, who was a, a, Greek, uh, a Greek historian, that feast was to, with all of his captains and, and the rulers of his kingdom uh, in order to get them built up and excited about attacking Greece. And we know that he loses that battle, so he's not going to be in, a, uh, in that, that war. But anyway, that's what this feast is. And his queen Vashti was beautiful. She was beautiful, and he wanted to show her off. Now, what all that included, I don't know. But I know this. 
I, I respect Vashti almost as much as I do Esther. Because Esther said, I mean, Vashti said, uh-uh. That's paraphrased, but she said, no. I'm not going to do that. He wanted her to come and, and parade in front of all the princes and, and, the, and the captains and the generals and all the people that had gathered there for this huge feast. And she said, it's not going to happen. Sorry. And you have to understand, you, you didn't tell King Xerxes Ahasuerus no. You didn't tell him no. And, but she did. And he was angry, it tells us. And his other rulers and the people that worked with him, his counselors, they said, King, you can't let her get away with that. You know, you, you talk about political intrigue. You talk about political correctness run amok. You, there are assassination plots. There's all sorts of intrigue. But one of the things that his counselors said, you can't, you can't let your wife get away with that. Why? Our wives are going to start acting like that. Our wives are going to start telling us no. You certainly don't do that today, right? You, you better put that woman in her place or else our wives are going to start behaving in the same way. And King, we don't want that. And he said, well, you know what? You're right. So he didn't say off with her head, but we don't know whatever happened to Vashti. She, he said, okay, she's not, she's not king anymore. And she took, took away her, her crown. And they said, well, you need to find uh, another virgin. You need to find somebody else to be your queen. And so the selection process started taking place. And there was a Jewish girl in obscurity. She had been raised up there. You know why she was raised up there is because uh, years and years before that, Judah had gone into Babylonian captivity thanks to Nebuchadnezzar. And so there were a whole bunch of Jews still living in, in Babylon. These were Jews that had not gone back when they had the chance to, uh, to go back. Well, actually, this was before, because it's this king that's going to allow them to go back, by the way. That's, that's important here. So anyway, here is this girl. She has this uncle, Mordecai. And Mordecai says, you know, you're so cute. Let's take you go before king. And she was willing to do that. She did. And God's word tells us that that uh, Xerxes was just, he, he thought she was beautiful. He selected her. And so she became the queen. God, God's hand moving through all of this. Even in the book of Esther, the Lord's name is not mentioned one time. The Lord's name is not mentioned one time in the book of Esther. I see all of you looking back now going, I'm going to find it. Or it's not there. I'll save you the time and effort. But boy, his presence is, his, his ruling, his control is. And so Esther is made queen. Mordecai, her uncle, is sitting at the gate. He's a pretty respected man, sitting at the gate, and he hears a conspiracy. He hears that two of the, the, the stewards, two of the gatekeepers, they're plotting an assassination plot against the king. And he hears it, and he says, I'm going to go tell Esther. So he goes and he tells Esther. Esther tells the king. King says, who told you this? Is it my uncle Mordecai? And he's, they investigate. God's word says they investigate. Sure enough, that's happened. And so these two guys are executed. Nothing's ever said about it. 
until God's perfect timing brings it about. And so we're introduced to a guy by the name of Hammond. Nobody here's name's Hammond, is it? Okay. Don't ever name your child Hammond, okay? So here's Haman, Haman, and he hates Mordecai. And, and the king has, has put uh, Haman up in, in a top position, evidently he respected him. He had a, a great political mind, evidently, and he, he made him his top advisor, and he had given him all sorts of honor. And we're introduced to Haman, and Haman is walking, and he walks past all these people, and they're all bowing, except Mordecai. Mordecai, I I don't, they're going to bow to this guy. And he doesn't bow to him. Haman gets mad. He gets really mad. So it kind of gives you an idea about this guy, that just because he didn't bow to him, he gets it in his mind, I'm going to kill this guy, and I'm going to kill his people. So that kind of gives you an idea of what Haman's heart was like. So he goes to the king and he says, King, you know, there's a group of people that really don't obey your laws. What? I'm a sovereign king. They better obey my laws. They better do what I tell them to do. Now there's a group of folks. And, and at this point, uh, Xerxes, uh, Ahasuerus, Xerxes does not know that these people, his wife's one of them. And Xerxes said, yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead, kill them. I, yeah, just, just do whatever you think is necessary. Yeah, do it. And here, I'm going to stamp this and here's and start making arrangements, wipe them out. Kind of gives you an idea of what this guy was like, too. And so Haman, yeah, boy. Not to make light of it, folks, because it was dangerous times. There were dire circumstances. Look at um, chapter 4. talks about the lamentation of the Jews. It talks about how they are weeping. And they are crying out. And they are in sackcloth and ashes. And they are struggling because it is just so many days before they're going to be executed. Haman starts building gallows to uh, hang Mordecai on. These are desperate times. And so what do they start doing? They start praying. Esther sees Mordecai with sackcloth and ashes and in a mournful way, and she says, what's wrong with him? And they tell her, well, he's, uh, he's disturbed about something. She says, well, here, take him these clothes. And Mordecai refuses to put those clothes on, and he tells uh, these, these folks, you tell Esther, here's what's going on. He ends up giving to Esther that decree. She reads it, and it's like, oh, no, I don't know what's going to happen. Mordecai says, you need to go to the king. You need to tell the king not to do this. You, you need to think of, of something. Look at Esther 4, verse 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, 
Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. You're talking about a man of faith. Mordecai was a man of faith. Basically, he said, look, Esther, if you don't do something, something is going to happen. He didn't mention God's name, but help's going to come from someplace. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Boy, I love that phrase. For such a time. God's put you here for such a time as this. Courage. Intestinal fortitude. Steadfastness. Verse 16, Esther listens. And her attitude in verse 16 says, if I perish, I perish. I'll do it. Talk about courage. And that's that's the type of courage that we're going to be needing, church. Do I believe there's persecution coming? Oh, you bet I do. Do I believe there are troubling times ahead for the church? You bet you, I do. And our attitude needs needs to be like Esther's. If I perish, I perish. I'm still going to do what's right. I'm still going to say, what's right. And so Esther, you know the story how she goes to the king and she, and, and she says, hey, I'd like to invite you and Haman to a feast. And Haman goes, man, I am in the money. I, even the queen is inviting me to eat and I wanted, it's going to do it twice. And Haman says, I have reached the pinnacle of my career. And so they go together and the king says, Esther, I Whatever you, you ask me, you want, to, you want to ask me, and keep this in mind. You didn't just go say, uh, can I come see you, king? I know husband and wife, I know I'm your queen, but can I come see you? To go into the king's presence without being invited was death, was death. Unless the king pointed his scepter at you and went, okay, you can come in. And so Esther, bravery, it was bravery that said, made her go in and he pointed and so the second time the feast Naaman thought okay this is great the second feast and uh, that's when she uh, developed that whole plot that's when she she spilled the beans and she told the king exactly what was what was going on what Haman was doing and as dire as those circumstances were as troubling as those circumstances were God's faithfulness shown through. I mean, we think times are bad now. There, who knows what was going to happen? And when, when we did our study on Christ of the book, and we went through Esther, and Esther, uh, she's a type of Christ as, as advocate. In the volume of the book, it's written to me, Christ says, and every book of the Bible is about Christ and, and Esther, the advocate. And Esther goes and she's an advocate for her people. And you know the story how Haman is the one that was hung on, on the gallows that was built for Mordecai and God blessed his people. And by the way, all this was part of a satanic plot to do away with what? The Messiah. The Messiah. If all the Jews are killed... The, the seed of the woman. See, that was an all-out attack by Satan. Yeah. 
Circumstances were dire then too. And God came to, hey, the Jews today still celebrate Feast of Purim. That's what that's, that is all about. God has always come through, folks. Why do we worry? We th- things aren't going our way. We think that God is not working out His will. Oh, yes, He is. And I believe it's a time to get excited. I think it's a time to rejoice. It's a time to recognize the fact that 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 tells us that in all things we're to give thanks, right? In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Well, that just means the things that are going our way. Is that what that means? All things. And we can praise God for what's going on right now because His purpose, His will will be carried out. We pray for revival. We pray for an awakening. Folks, I'm telling you, what's going on right now could be that very answer to your prayer. So it's your fault. It's your fault. Because God is answering your prayer, I believe. And I pray this morning that you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. I pray this morning that you are excited about your future, that you know that heaven is your home. And if you don't, let me encourage you to, by faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Believe that for salvation. And then the, the wonderful thing about that is you become a new creation in Christ and, and your, your life changes completely. God changes you. He justifies you. And then you have heaven to look forward to. You realize that your life is in God's hands, that you belong to Him and you can trust Him. It's a little long, but Tim, I, I really want you to play that, that song that you queued up. There's, I bet I've listened to this song Upteen times. I don't know how many upteen is, but I've listened to it upteen times this week, and I keep listening to it over and over and over again. And it has blessed me, folks, in such a tremendous way. And I pray that it'll bless you. But it, I'm going to play this song. And then I want you tonight, when you go home or in the morning, read Psalm 37. How many of you read it this week? Read Psalm 37. Those of you that read it this week, does it get you high and lift it up? Amen. It's powerful. Read Psalm 37.